seven things that believers should know. We started in on this a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday, and I was explaining how important the knowledge of God is. That as Christians, every day of our lives, we're involved with some kind of spiritual warfare. The main battle taking place here, the, the arena of the mind, it's a battle of ideas. And the adversary is very strong in bring all kind, bringing all kinds of thoughts to your head. You've got to choose which thoughts you bring captive. That's what the, the Bible says. There are some thoughts that you should allow to roam free. Thoughts that are godly. Thoughts that are scriptural. Things of a good report. But there are other thoughts that you have to take captive, like a prisoner, and you have to isolate it, and then you've got to expel it. And so we spent some time working on how, as a Christian, to engage in that kind of warfare and how to resist the adversary. Now, this evening, we want to continue, and we're going to look at Philippians 1, verse 19 is where we will start, because this is where we finished the last time. I said seven things. The first thing came from Philippians 1 verse 6, which we said, God who began the good work in us will complete it. That's important to know as a Christian. The devil will try to bring you into condemnation. You need to know that what God started, he will finish. Verse 19 then says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Seven things believers should know. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for an opportunity to gather on an evening like this to be able to build our lives on the word of God. Speak to each one of us clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's remember that God does answer prayer, and the whole point of praying is so that we should have the expectation that the Lord will answer prayer. Prayer is not just something that we do. Prayer is an activity. And it is an offensive weapon that we should use. And the scripture is plain that deliverance and prayer are linked together. Now, another way to describe prayers, just simply say help. You, you, you need help from God. That's, that's to cry out to God, to have a petition before the Lord. And you will find that as a believer, when you pass along this road, there will be many instances in your life where you will have to pray. There will never be a point in your Christian life where you will not need to pray. And the moment God answers one prayer, there'll be another prayer that you'll have, whether it's for an unsaved loved one, deliverance from a storm, some kind of physical burden that you may be dealing with. It could be a neighbor or somebody passing through financial difficulties. There will always be someone to pray for. And if you run out of things to pray for, pray for me. I ought to be enough to keep you busy. Yeah, because you folks are enough to keep me busy. Yeah. So Philippians 1.19 says, I know that it will turn to my salvation. So I want to quickly move to the next one in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. If, if you're going to resist the adversary and, and fight against the condemning and negative thoughts and sinful temptations and desires that he brings to you, then you've got to start with verse 5 and you've got to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant 
and was made in the likeness of men. You've heard people say the mind is a terrible thing to what? Waste. See, that, that's, that's almost like a proverb, a very popular adage in our culture. Well, the mind is a powerful thing, and I don't think there's any instrument on this earth that really can gauge or measure the power and the ability of the mind. If you see somebody sit down and play uh, the, the piano and the organ, the, the ability is not just in the fingers. And, and the reason I know that is because I can sit down at a piano and my fingers can't do all the things that piano players can do. So there, there has to be something that goes on up here. But if you could take one of your minds and put it in my head, I could play the piano or the organ just like you could. It's, it's an ability of the mind. And when the scripture says here in verse number five that we should let this mind be in us, which was in Christ Jesus, that first word let, that is a term of permissibility. I mean, this isn't a matter of coercion. You have to voluntarily choose to allow the mind of Christ to reside in you the same way you allowed your grandparents and parents' words to abide in you. So the scripture says, let the word of Christ dwell richly inside of you. If, if I were to pull all of you aside and, and interview you for about an hour and then ask you about some of your grandparents, great-grandparents and your parents and so on, I, I'm sure I could pull out of you certain statements that they have made and you've heard them make over and over again that are not part of your vocabulary. And, and being that they're part of your vocabulary, they're part of your lifestyle. Certain things they've taught you, certain things that, that they have said. Now, this is exactly what Paul is trying to say here in Philippians chapter 2. That the mind of Christ has to abide in us. But look at verse 1 and 3. It'll tell you what that mind of Christ is. It says, if there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies, fulfill my joy that ye be like-minded. That means uh, think the same as those that are around you. Having the same love being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem each other better than themselves. So there are two things that we need to know about the mind of Christ. Number one, unity is important. Then number two, humility. Unity is important. You can't do anything in division. If you can't get people to work together, you can't get anything done. If you can get people to work together, you can accomplish a lot. Yeah. And you don't have to have, you don't have, to have the most gifted and most talented and the strongest able-bodied people to get something accomplished. You just simply need people that are like-minded. You put 10 people together who think the exact same thing about a particular topic or subject and put them in a room with somebody else, 18 of them, and they don't believe the same thing, you, you'll never get anything done with the 18, but you'll get a lot done with the ones that are like-minded. So unity is important because unity helps us pull through things. Yeah. When, when we were children, we all played tug-of-war, didn't we? Remember that? You put the rope down in between, then you got people over here, then you got people over here, and however you guys did it out here, the, the way we did, everybody had to lay down on either side of the, of the rope with your feet facing the rope. 
and, and then when, when somebody yelled, then you just kind of swerved around as fast as you could, and you got up there and you started pulling. Well, of course, the one you wanted up front was the one that was the fastest because they could start tugging, but the one you put on the back naturally was the, the one that had muscles on top of his muscles, the anchor, and you wanted that one to be able to pull. But if you can't get people in unity about how to pull in sync, see, you'll lose. Because everybody just can't just be pulling randomly. There's got to be some sync, syncopated kind of motion to it in order for it to work the way it's supposed to. Same thing with rowing a boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in a, in, a, in a Christian relationship with other believers, to be like-minded is important. So we should believe the same things about Jesus' birth. If I were to ask you, was he born of a virgin, you should be able to say yes. If I ask you, did Jesus live in this world without sin? I don't mean he made a few mistakes every now and then had to apologize. I mean, without sin, you should be able to say yes. If, if I ask you, do you believe Jesus died on the cross, not for his sin, but for ours? You should be able to say yes. If we say, was he literally buried in the ground and then, and then on the third day physically resurrected by the power of the Holy Ghost, as Romans 1 says, in 1 Corinthians 15, you should also be able to say yes. And if someone asks you, well, do you really believe the story in Acts chapter 1 and Luke 24, where it says that Jesus was with his disciples and he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit and then suddenly he went to heaven? Yes, yes. Like-minded people like that can change the world. The reason I know it, because that's what the book of Acts is about. Jesus took fishermen that were essentially illiterate. They didn't have hardly any monies, but yet the Lord turned the world upside down with them. So unity is important. Then humility is important. I think it's, I've got to hear Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. If we humble ourselves, honor will come to us. So Jesus says, don't look for the, the top place at the banquet, but sit down in the lower place so that you can be called up to a better place rather than you taking the best place and then being called down to a lower position. Humility. Prefer other people before yourselves. That's how Paul was. So Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, that he was the least of all apostles. Paul said in Ephesians 3 and 8, he was the least of all saints. And Paul said in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, he was the chief of sinners. So it's because he was humble and God made a deposit of his treasure in this earthen vessel that he said he'll glory and boast in the ability of God in this frail, feeble body. And that's why he said he could lay hands on the sick and pray for people cast out devils because the excellency was not of himself, but it was of God. Humility is to acknowledge that the Lord is the one that comes first. I've, I've told you before, the, the old folks in the South used to say, it's hard, to, it's hard to stumble if you're always on your knees. See, if you're always on your knees. If you humble yourself in the, the presence of God. There, there was a, a man many, many years ago uh, used to be president of the Tuskegee Institute, uh, Booker T. Washington. And shortly after he became the president of that, that college, he was walking through this very exclusive neighborhood down there in Alabama. And uh, 
being dressed as he was, there was, a, there was a lady, a white lady, who assumed that he was somebody's butler or valet. So she, she said to him, uh, sir, if, if, if you don't mind uh, making a few extra dollars, I've got some wood in my backyard that needs to be chopped. So Mr. Washington, rather than becoming offended, he just rolled up his sleeves, went to the lady's house, chopped the wood, stacked the wood by the fireplace inside the house. And while he was doing that, the lady's daughter recognized Mr. Washington and quickly told her mom who this gentleman was. And Mr. Washington left. Well, the next morning, this lady showed up there at his office at the college, and she was so apologetic. She said, please forgive her. And, and he was so gracious about the whole thing. He said, he said, there's nothing wrong with helping out a friend that's in need. And she said, well, anybody as meek and as gracious as you are is going to do well in a, in a place like this. And, and that lady went on and talked her, her friends, her wealthy donors, into contributing thousands of dollars to the Tuskegee Institute just because a man was humble enough to chop wood. Think about that. See, Humility pays off. It goes a long way. Paul says, consider the mind of Christ who was humble enough even though he was God and knew he was equal to God. In verse number six, he says he made himself of no reputation. He came to this planet born in a flesh body like we have. He didn't have to come that way, but that's exactly how he came. He came in the form of a servant. That means that when you, when you would have saw him, he would have not been somebody that would have appeared majestic in his appearance. Isaiah 53 said there was nothing about him that we should desire him. The form of a servant or a slave. This man was made in the likeness of men. And I thank God he, he bled. He knew what it was to be tired, to be hungry, to be thirsty. Scripture it's plain that we serve a Savior that is touched by the feeling of our infirmity. So however, however bad you may feel sometime, Jesus knows what it is to be, to be weary. He was making a journey coming through Samaria. And remember, he leaned on the well, being tired from the journey. And then he witnessed to the lady. Uh, the scripture says, I think it's Mark chapter 1, I believe. Or maybe it's Mark chapter 3, but somewhere over there, it talks about him getting angry. See, he, he knew what it was to be to be displeased. And at the same time, we know that Jesus knew laughter and happiness because he spoke uh, of his disciples. And it says that when they came back and they realized they had power to do this and power to do that, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. Well, you say rejoice isn't happiness or laughter. I've never met anybody who knew how to rejoice and wasn't happy doing it. Yeah. Well, no, maybe that's not true. Maybe I've, I've seen a few church people saying this is the day the Lord has made. <laughs> I'll rejoice and not, and not look too happy while they were singing it. Yeah, okay. So rejoice, rejoicing is, <clears throat> is a verb, and it's an action. How can you do it without joy? And, and this takes us into our next one, Philippians 3, uh, verse number 1 and verse number 3. So we're working on seven things believers ought to know or should know in, in order to be able to overcome the strategies of the devil. You, you need to... Be humble, because pride goes before destruction. But the scripture says humility precedes honor. But now you also need to know how to rejoice. Philippians 3 verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. 
Now, you can rejoice in the wrong thing and be happy about the wrong thing. The latter part of verse 3 says, have no confidence in the flesh. Now, let's back up and let's go to Galatians. That's just two books, two books before this one. Galatians 6, the very last chapter. <clears throat> Galatians 6. Now listen to this. Verse number 13. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. That's Galatians 6, 13. So let me explain this. It is imperative that every male Jewish child be circumcised on the eighth day. And that circumcision is so important to this day that without it, your Jewishness is called into question. Now, Jewish people do not believe they receive their Jewish ethnicity from the man. They believe they receive it from the woman. However, for a man to not be circumcised as, a, as, a, as an infant, that's a, it's a terribly bad, bad thing. And it's so important to them that they have a big ceremony over that, where the rabbi comes in and hundreds of family members are there, and they cut the foreskin of the baby's flesh, and people just celebrate. What are they doing? Rejoicing and glorying in the circumcision. Now, circumcision goes back to Abraham, so it was before Moses. So we can't say it came with the law. But we can say that individuals who believe that circumcision gives them a closer relationship with God or gives them a special covenant, that's deception because Paul says that in Christ now we're all circumcised in our hearts. So men don't need to be circumcised as Christians. And certainly under the old covenant, ladies couldn't be circumcised. But yet this heart work that is done is one that's done by the Spirit. The believer that walks with God rejoices not in what we are able to do with the cutting of the flesh, but what the Spirit of God does in the, in the uh, work of our heart. So Paul says in Philippians 3 then, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in Christ Jesus. Do not have confidence in the flesh. Do not rejoice in the fact that you're doing something that you believe is going to help accomplish your salvation. Put your rejoicing in the right spot in God. And to rejoice, I mean, that's, you can sing to rejoice. You can sing with uh, music, without music. You can praise the Lord all by yourself when you're in a vehicle. But one thing for sure, boast in what God has done for you on Calvary. All of us in here have enough weaknesses on our own. We don't, we don't need to talk about those. But, but I do know that all those weaknesses are swallowed up by the strength of God and by the righteousness of God. And that is what we call grace. That means that God's grace covers up a lot of our iniquities. And, and once the iniquity has been pointed out, it's our responsibility to turn and walk away from it, but not believe our salvation rests in turning and walking away from it. Our salvation rests in what Christ has done. But if a man genuinely loves the Lord, he will turn from certain things and that turning will lead to praise. The happiest people on the earth are Christians. Now, I know you wouldn't know that all the time on Sunday, but I'm, I'm telling you, the happiest people on the planet are Christians because our burdens have been lifted and taken away. Yeah, there, there was a time when we'd come 
to church, and, and maybe you can remember moments like this when you go into the house of God and you didn't always want to be there because you felt bad while you were there. Well, maybe we felt bad because we weren't living the way we were supposed to live. In cases like that, you're supposed to feel bad, you know. But once the blood has cleansed us of our iniquity, we've repented of our sins, then there's something that we do now that we never did before we became Christians. We rejoice. We rejoice. I can tell you two things I know none of you did when you were living in sin. Number one, you, you didn't have prayer meetings. You, you, did you ever get, to, get together with any of your friends when you guys were doing things you weren't supposed to do and say, you know what, let's have a prayer meeting. I mean, that, that, usually that, that doesn't happen. And, and then the other thing is uh, people, people typically do not rejoice in the Lord. They do rejoice, though, but they don't rejoice in the Lord. I've told you before about when Tiffany was younger and my father-in-law at them Christmas parties, all of his friends and family would come over there and they'd put on all that blues music and they wanted to drink the beer. And, 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 and Tiffany was, was not one that liked blues and was not one that liked beer. And so she, 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 she'd go in there and put on some Christian music. You know, say something like Amazing Grace or something like that. Well, you know, if you, if, you got, if you got a bunch of guys and family members in the living room and everybody's just sloshing around in beer and just throwing them back and everybody's in there telling all kinds of stories and jokes and all that kind of stuff, then all of a sudden Amazing Grace comes on. It really does kind of put a damper on things. And, I mean, they just kind of sit there and look at that bottle and look at one another and, I can't drink with this music playing, you see. <laughs> Got to have something else. Now, now, before the music was changed, they were rejoicing. But, but now they're not rejoicing. It's like one time I was going into a, uh, one of the you know, saloons that have the restaurants, and I wanted to grab me one of them takeaway dinners. And so there happened to be <clears throat> somebody sitting at the bar. I won't say what town. Sitting at the bar that... that uh, I knew went to church and and and, and supposed to be a Christian, and and so I, there's that there's that mug of beer right there, and so you know people throw their hand up and they wave and stuff like that, and then I got my food and I just went and sat down, just start talking, how you doing, and you know what's been going on and that kind of a thing, and you know the whole time whole time I sat there, just beads of sweat right here. <laughs> Not one time did that hand ever go near the glass as I, as I sat there. Now, I, I don't know if, if, if they were just doing that out of respect for me or if they were under conviction or whatever it was. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy they, they, they didn't. But uh, some people are happier outside of the Lord. But in the Lord is where we rejoice. And that, that's, that's where our praise is at. I, I always look forward to being able... To, to worship God, the worship services, the song service, being able to glorify the name of the Lord because I can rejoice in him. But I, I praise the Lord in the car also. You can do that all by yourself. You do not have to have music to glorify the Lord. The scripture says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That may not sound good to you, and it may not sound good to the people around you. But nevertheless, it's a joyful noise. There's a church I used to go preach in. And there was a lady, <clears throat> I think in all my life, I don't know that I've ever met a lady that was tone deaf. Just if, if, if there was a wrong key, she found it every time. 
I'm telling you, this, I'm, this, is, this, is, this is a true story. And the, the, uh, the, the lady during the song service, I, I noticed she, she used to be over in, in the area where I would be at before I'd get up to preach. And then I noticed she moved over to where the piano player was. And the, the piano player, I could see she playing, and I'm trying to figure out why she's missing all these keys. She's missing all these keys because she's trying to figure out who's singing so bad. And she's looking over here. And, and, and finally, she, she had to ask the lady to move to the other side of the church. So whenever I was traveling out there to preach, she's back over there where I am now, you know. And it, it, was, it was hard to praise God and get on time as the music was going because not only could she not sing, she had no rhythm, which just throws it off for everybody else that, that are around. But, but I praise the Lord that I can rejoice in him anyhow. See, she rejoiced in the Lord always, no matter what is taking place. So don't, don't let other people throw you off balance when you're praising God. Just do the best that you can. Okay, Philippians 3, look at, look at verses 13 through 15 now. So here's something else that's important. To forget those things that are behind. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, excuse me, verse 13, Philippians 3, 13 through 15. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but there's one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything ye be, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. Now, what is he, he talking about here? If, if we back up, you notice the first part of the chapter, he is talking about, in verse 2, people to watch out for. Beware of dogs, unclean people who, who are very, very conniving, and they want you to be circumcised. That's what concision is, mutilation, mutilation of, the, uh, of the flesh. Now, it could be circumcision, it could be other things. But he says, beware of them. Then he tells us in verse 3, we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So now he's going to go through his pedigree and explain about his lineage and how there was a time in his life he was confident concerning who he was. His family name, his family tree meant everything to him. And he, he felt good about that. But those were the things that he went on to say he now, in Christ, count all of those things as dung. The loss for the excellency of the, of the, the name of the Lord Jesus. And this is why he says he, he's able to not consider himself to be one that is apprehended, but he forgets the things that are behind him. He knows that back there he had confidence in his family name. And he says, I don't want to be like that no more because my confidence now and my boast is in the Lord. Now, now family names are important. And, and I, I don't have a doubt <clears throat> that we, we have, we've made a lot of kings and queens and princes and princesses up there on Capitol Hill by continuing to elect and reelect people of the same family. And, and pretty soon they think they've established their own dynasty. That, that kind of a thing. And, and, and if you're not careful, you listen to people talk, and, and without them even knowing it, because it's so natural to them, they have confidence in that name of theirs. And they really believe that that, that name 
it's, it's, it's weighty and it's powerful. And even though Paul came from a, a very good tribe and everything, he realized that in Christ that stuff doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything at all. All of us in here should, should be concerned about living up our name rather than living down our name. Because the scripture says a good name is rather to be chosen than gold or silver. And you don't want to do anything that's going to bring shame to your family name. I understand that. But when it comes to your relationship with God, you cannot put confidence in the flesh and say, well, my great grandfather, he's the one laid the stone to the church. My, my great grandmother, she's the one baked all the dinners in here. I mean, nobody in this church made as many, made as many dinners as my grandmother did. You don't understand. My auntie, she baked more cakes than anybody else. And it's wrong for you to think that you're as great as our family. Our contribution has been bigger and mightier than yours. You see what's happening? Pride. Pride. Don't put your confidence in that. Put your confidence in the fact that Jesus has done something for you. You're now connected with him. Forget all of that stuff that's behind. You've got to look forward now. That's what he said. The future is what's important. Not, not what's back there. The people who are living in yesterday are stuck in yesterday. Yeah, that, that's where they're at. But if, if we're going to reach for the prize, then we have to be able to press. That's what he's saying in verse 14. Press toward the mark. And, and you have to strive the same way a runner. And that's what I was teaching on on Sunday. The, the same way a runner is trying to make it to that finish line. If it's a long distance race, he's got to condition himself to be able to run his race with endurance, patience. And if, if you're going to make it to the pearly gates and obtain the prize that the Lord has for us, then verse 15, you've got to be like minded, just like Paul was. You, you have to be willing to forget the things that are behind you. And he says, if you're not like that, God will reveal it to you. And God should reveal it to us. We, we, we need to be humble people. So forgetting those things that are behind, uh, those things that formerly meant so much to him. Let's go to chapter four. <clears throat> this is the sixth thing of seven things believers should know. The first we told you is that God who began a good work is going to complete it. The second thing we told you that prayer and salvation are connected. The third thing we said is that the mind of Christ should be in you. The fourth thing we said, you should rejoice in the Lord. The fifth thing is forget those things that are behind you. The sixth thing is verse number 13. You can do all things through Christ. Impossibilities are not something that are really strong in our vocabulary. We talk about what God can do, not what God can't do. Philippians 4:13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So it's not your strength. It's, it's Jesus' ability in you. Let, let, let's be honest. Um, the strength that we have is not enough to really change anything. And the reason I know it is week after week across the nation, there are people who are strong in their faith, strong in their belief, but they still have prayers for unsaved loved ones. As strong as they may be, you can't make anybody serve God, can you? Can't do that. No, no. As, as strong as you may be in your physical man, and you may be able to lift a lot of things, you may be able to do a lot of things simultaneously, but yet when it, when it comes to 
something as simple as a child sneezing on you. Sometimes it seems like kind of hard for you to keep a cold away. You know, the strength that we have comes from the fact that we're connected with the Lord and you can do all things. You can through Christ. You can. Yeah. And that's 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 how our, our vocabulary should be. Uh, obstacles may pose challenges, but they still fall up under that phrase, all things. You, you, you can do this. You can overcome it. You can defeat it. There's never been a sickness greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. There's never been an obstacle greater than the name of the Lord Jesus. Whosoever called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and God strengthens us so that we can face the task, face the battle. That's the only way David could do it. So David is listening to Saul. Saul and the Israelites are terrified. There's a big tall gentleman down in the valley. He's cussing God. He's cussing the Israeli people. And, and David comes in there and he's got bags of groceries for his brothers because he wants to feed them. And Jesse sent him up there. And, and, and David's looking down there trying to figure out why this Philistine down there that worships heathen gods, why he's down there cussing all the Israelis. And he's trying to figure out why there aren't some Israelis down there with their feet on his neck. And they're up there terrified. So David's brother said to him, look, we know why you're here. You, you, you came here because you've got one objective, and, and that's to come see how the war is going. As, as little kids are, you know, cops and robbers, and they want guns that make all the pop noises. And stuff. That, that's why you're here, David, because you want to see how the battle is going. Well, David said, whatever reason I'm here, there's no reason for you to let that, that heathen man down there curse our God. And so Saul had said, if there's anybody that'll go down there and fight Goliath and defeat him, I'll give him one of my daughters. Now that's, a, that's a pretty good deal. Because in, in ancient times, nobody really cared what anybody looked like. If you could marry into the royal family, that's a good thing. Who cares what she looks like? If you can be connected to the king and be married, it didn't matter. Nobody's going to say, well, I want to see what she looks like first. I, I, I'm going down there to fight. And David, he told Saul, I'm ready to battle. So David said, if you're going, Saul said, if you're going to go down there, you need to put on some stuff that's going to make you look like a warrior. And so David put on all the trappings of the king. And David realized this stuff didn't fit. and He wasn't used to it. He had never used it before. He wasn't familiar with it. And so he said, no, I can't have this at all. No, no. And, and, and David, <clears throat> he said, I've got something better. I'm pretty good with a, with a slingshot. Oh, I could hear the men laughing. Now, nah, yeah, slingshot, you can go down and fight that big man, and you're going to throw rocks at him. Yeah. And, and David went down there. And Goliath was down there in that valley, and David headed on down the hill, and he found the little brook. And down in the brook, he reached down and grabbed some rocks, and then he put a couple of them rocks in his little satchel, and then he put another rock inside that slingshot, and then he started walking towards Goliath. Goliath started cussing him, blaspheming God, and David started trotting a little bit faster. And before Goliath could even get ready for the battle, David had swung that sling, and that rock hit. Mr. Goliath right where it needed to and Goliath hit the ground and I bet you it was a thud that caused the Philistines to shake David walks over there to where that man is and 
make sure he's, he's out. And, and he took that man's head off of his body, climbed that hill back up there where Saul was and dropped that head at that chariot and said, I do believe you owe me a bride now. Yeah, that was the end of that. How could he do that? There had to be something inside of him that made him believe he could beat a man that was more than likely twice or three times his size. There had to be something inside him to lead him to believe that he could face the challenge and win. So here's what the scripture says in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, which makes me strong. Who makes me strong? You can't do it on your own. Neither can I. Some things require the Lord. Some valleys through which you have to pass require a grace and a power that you yourself do not possess in and of yourself. You've got to know God. I don't know how some people make it through some trials. I don't even know how people live on this earth and don't have, a, don't have faith in God and don't have believers that they can fellowship with. But, they, I mean, the world's full of people like that. It just seems to me that if I am going to have to battle a lot of the things that are around, it'd be nice to pick up the phone and call somebody who is very encouraging and knows the word of God, you know. So you call somebody and you tell them, look, I need you to pray. This is what's going on in my life. I'm having some difficulties. Here are my struggles. Then we say, come on, let's put the Lord in the middle of it right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're believing you're going to strengthen him or her, and you're going to make them mighty for the battle or this temptation. not going to be too great. They're going to be overcomers. As you said in your word, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And pray that way. I mean, there's some people you'll call, and, and you'd say, look, I've been having some struggles, some trials, and some problems. They say, look, man, I'm my mind worse than yours. <laughs> See, okay, and, and by the time you get off the telephone, oh goodness, you just you just glad to be off the telephone. Okay, you are glad to be off. Okay, God is the one who strengthens you. Let me give you let me give you another one here. God is the one that strengthens you, and I'll show you how how He can do this. There, there was a, a man who many years ago used to be the the pastor of Moody Chapel for the Moody Bible Institute. That was started by Dwight Moody. <clears throat> and this man's name was Paul Rader, a very popular uh, preacher way back a century ago. And Paul Rader tells the story about a young man that when he was about 13 or 14, he ended up in juvenile court. And this little boy was pretty bad, he, uh, in and out of trouble. And uh, his mom, though, when he was about 14 years old, his mom got sick, was laid up in the hospital. While she was in the hospital, he got involved with gangs, and he did one bad thing after another, spent a short season in jail. Well, she, she eventually died while he was young. But before she died, even though she was in a pretty bad way as far as her life, she talked to him about God and about Jesus. He, he knew who his father was, but his father wasn't worth two pennies rubbing together. His father was an alcoholic. The only time his father came around was when he wanted to beat on uh, the boy's mom and demand money of her because she was the only one who had a job. You know, just, just that kind of a situation. So the, the, the mom died, and, and the boy, he's got these memories of her talking about Jesus and things like that, but it, it, it has not really taken effect in his life. He's in trouble. One particular occasion, he ends up in jail again. And this time while he's in jail, rather than listening to the other uh, inmates talking about 
the things they've done and how they got over and some of the things they did without getting caught. Somebody in there was reading the Bible and telling the story of the prodigal son. And he listened. Well, it still didn't change his life. But when he got out, he, he, he was walking down a road and uh, he, he saw a, a, a buggy. A man was on a buggy and passed by and he waved at the man on the buggy, but the man on the buggy never waved back. And then the man got down further in his buggy, and then he had a problem, and one of the wheels came off. So the young man ran up there as fast as he could to try to help the man. Come to find out the man was a, he was a lawyer. And so he helped him with that. And then he rode along the way with him for a little bit. The lawyer asked him about his problems. He explained about his dad, his mom, his terrible life he's lived so far as a kid. Then he just jumped off and ran off in another direction, and the lawyer went on his way. Well, that young man, he didn't have any, any real skill to make money, didn't have any food, didn't have a place to live. His dad was an alcoholic. Mom was now dead. He just got out of jail. So over in the wooded area by a tree, he got down on his knees and remembered that part in the prodigal son story where the man came home and said, make me as one of your hired servants. And he said, Lord, if, if you somehow can open the door for me to be like that, to be a servant, that I'll, I'll maintain my temper, I'll keep myself, and everything will be all right. I'll live for you. So he got up, started walking down Main Street, and he heard somebody calling from behind. And, and calling from behind was that lawyer who he'd helped on that buggy. And the lawyer said, I've been looking for you for the last couple of hours. Where, you been? Where have you been? And he said, I was out there talking to my, my master. He said, your master? I don't know what you're talking about, but he said, your story touched me, and I want to bring you home, and you can, you can help me, and, and you can live in my house. And so that's what he did. He took the young man home, and he used him basically as his valet, and he handled his liquor and his alcohol and tobacco and all that kind of, kind of a thing. But the man had a, bad, a really bad temper, and this, this lawyer guy would get so mad, and, and, and he'd, he'd yell at that boy at the top of his lungs, and then sometime if the boy didn't do right, then that, that lawyer would grab him by the hair and just shake him and just scream at him. I mean, you, you know how lawyers can be. You know, you know, how, lawyer, you know how lawyers can be. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so, so, so here's, how, here's how the story finally ended up. This, this young boy, took all kinds of abuse from this man, and he, he never responded in like manner. He, he always kept a smile on his face, and he, and he would say, my master wouldn't want me to respond to you that way. So uh, on one occasion, that lawyer, he got so mad, he said, I'm tired of hearing about this master of yours. I'm your master. You live here in my house. And the young man said, that's not true. And that lawyer asked him, said, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. He said, I thought you were with the way you were talking, and that lawyer fell down on his knees, pulled that young man down to him, and said, could you please lead me to the master? Lead me to the master. With tears in his eyes, that, that, that little boy, he said, I don't have enough money to, to have a Bible, so I haven't been able to buy one, but I've got a little track upstairs in my room that I got from when I was in jail. And he went up there, and he got that track, and he led that lawyer to Christ. Now, now here's the thing. How, how could a how could a, a teenager have a grown man hitting on him and cussing on him and never swing back and fight him? You see, there had to be a power inside of him that helped restrain him. 
Especially when there was one occasion when the man hauled off and slapped him as hard as he could. And the young man in his testimony said his, his fists clenched up. And he said after about 30 seconds, they just kind of released. He said he was mad enough to kill that man when he did that. He said there had to be a power. And when the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me, there are certain circumstances in your life. You'll never know how strong you are until the circumstance comes. You never know. We can sit here and we can make up in our mind, this is what I do, that's what I do. But you'll never know how you'll react until you're in that valley. And God has to be the one to give you the strength. And I praise God that the Lord has been able to keep a lot of you from fisticuffs through the years. I'm sure there have probably been many an opportunity where you, you wanted to give somebody a piece of your mind, but you, 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 you failed to do that. And, and, and although you, you may not know uh, where that strength comes from, folks, sometimes that strength comes from God. Uh, the last thing here, Philippians 4, verse 19, <clears throat> look at it there. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He supplies our needs. By what he possesses, not merely by what you possess. Uh, typically, <clears throat> typically, the, 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 the average family, their, their bills usually outpace the monies that they make. Not in every case, but often is the case, especially if you have to start accumulating doctor bills, okay? Typically, the, 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 those bills, they, 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 they uh, accumulate. So here, here's what you, you have to know. If, if you belong to God and he's your master and you're his servant, he's the rabbi, you're the disciple, and he's the one that's determined to take care of you and to be the one that looks after you, then just like Jesus looked after the 12 disciples who came and followed him and walked away from their jobs, you have to believe that God's big enough to supply for your need supernaturally. There's a lot of different ways to do that. I've, I've told people through the years, whenever, for me, whenever I prayed for more money, God always sent me more work. Now, now, what does more work mean for me? More work for me means more revivals and camp meetings and things like that that I, that I travel and preach. For somebody else, it might be pouring cement. See? Might be working on a, on a roof or something. However it works out, it doesn't matter to me if, if, if I've got a barrel here and the barrel is, is supposed to contain all of these things that are a blessing to me and a blessing to you. It, it doesn't matter to me whether I skim it off the top or scrape it off the bottom. I just don't want it to run dry. See, that make me a difference. I, I reach down in there if I have to. And it should be the same thing, same thing with you. In, in your relationship with God, understand God is the one that supplies your need. Now know the, know the difference between your need and your want. Okay, I'll give, you some, I'll give you a couple of personal illustrations about knowing the difference. Uh, I often get phone calls from people who see uh, our name in the phone book, and they know we pastor, <clears throat> so the calls will sometimes go like this. How you doing, Pastor Darrell? I'm so-and-so. Uh, my family and I, we're having uh, some financial challenges, and we'd just like to know if the church be willing to do something for us help us okay so somebody calls you cold like that you sometimes you know who they are generally i, I don't and, and so it's one of these deals where they they want to meet you at the church and talk to you 
Well, I love that because now I can, I can, I can really have an interview now. You see. And um, when we start talking, I'll say something like, okay, well, um, the, the town has a local ministerial alliance that helps people that are passing through difficult times, their food banks and stuff like that. Have you contacted any of the other pastors? Oh, yeah, we've already been through the other six churches. So did the other six churches give you some, some monies and stuff like that? Oh, yes, they, they, were, they were very, very gracious. Just every, every other month or every month we've called. Okay. I say, um, well, well, how did you kind of get into this situation? You know, the government, government doesn't give money without strings, you know. You just, just ask them questions. So as, as, that's, as, as we're having a the conversation, then, then the cell phone rings. So I'm just, I just wait and I watch as they're on the cell phone. And, you know, I still got one of them old cell phones 15 years ago. They got one of them brand new things. Cost three or $400 and looking at that. And, and so I, I asked the question, I said, well, do you have cable and satellite and all that kind of thing? Oh, yes, I can't live without television. Can't live without television. I said, how much, how much are you needing the church to give you? Oh, about $250. I said, I, I'll tell you, I said, I'll tell you what my mom and dad said. I said, I'll tell you what my mom and dad said. My mom and dad said there are things in this life that we need, there are things in this life that we want. Sometimes we can't always afford what we want. I said, if, if, if you have little ones at home that are hungry, I said, don't you think you really ought to take that money you put in that cable television and put it in their belly? I said, wouldn't that be right? Oh, I didn't come down here to get a lecture. That's what you're going to get if you're asking for church people's money. Because, I mean, you know, people that give money in church, they give because they're faithful and they love God. They're not giving it because they want somebody to just be throwing, throwing money away, you know. But, but that's the thing. If, if we believe that God supplies our need, then we do need to know the difference between a need and a want. And just because there's something that you want, that doesn't mean there's something that you need. Yeah. Now, we could, we could pull a whole lot of folks in here off the streets that lived through the 30s and the 40s. <laughs> in the 50s and ask them some questions about that. And I'm sure they, they probably tell you, I, I don't know why you need a brand new washing machine. Why can't you just go down there to the river, you know, or something like that, you know. Folks, be, be wise with what God gives you. Be a good steward with what God gives you. And if, if, if we're faithful with the little, he'll give us much. But if we're not faithful with the little, then there's really not much reason to give us much because we'll waste that. People who don't handle this very well. They're not going to handle this very well. There are a thousand people in America right now that wish tonight they play that lottery, they hit it. Yeah. But there have been a lot of interviews of people on that television, folks that won that lottery, three to five years later, they wish they'd never seen that money because of all of the problems that it brought with them. Uh, Tiffany at least was kind enough to say, well, I'd at least like the opportunity. <laughs> God's good, folks. He's good. God supplies our needs. We thank the Lord for that. And, and he supplies your needs, and he's done that through the years. And however it works out, keep serving God. Don't turn your back on God. Just stand on the word and know that he will do what he said he would do. Amen? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you tonight that we can look into the word of God. And Father, no matter what the adversary may say to me or to those in this 
room tonight, we do know you're the supplier of our needs. We need not look to anyone, but look to you. So God, touch hearts, speak to individuals, open doors for all of us that are in here tonight. And we thank you for all that you've done with us, through us, and for us, and by us. And we praise you for all the same that you're going to do in the future. These things we pray for in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, 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 amen.